Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Conversations podcast channel as we will continue on today with our Wealth Planning podcast series. The focus of today's conversation will be part two on name, image, and likeness. We're fortunate to have with us Eric Sini, Executive Director and Wealth Planning Strategist with UBS. Eric will be leading today's conversation and introducing our special guest. Uh, with that, Eric, welcome back. I'll pass it over to you. Fantastic, Dan. Thank you, as always. Really appreciate all the time and work you put into making this podcast happen. So thank you again. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining us for another edition of the Wealth Planning Podcast. Um, today, I'm kind of excited because we are going to do a part two, the first part two that we've done so far, uh, on name, image, and likeness, uh, which you've been following us. Uh, we discussed last year and dove into initially just some initial ideas and planning, giving a little bit of status and background on, on where that area was at the time. So there's been a lot happening in this area uh, since then. Uh, we've had a whole year for the, everybody to sort of noodle on what's been going on uh, in terms of the rules and getting their arms around it, and things have certainly developed since then. And I'm sure if you've been watching uh, the sports world, especially high school and college sports, you've been hearing a lot about this. So. What we wanted to do today was jump back into that topic, and with me to do so uh, is Melissa Lilly, Executive Director and Wealth Planning Strategist here at UBS. Melissa, my friend, thank you again for joining us to uh, get back into this. Thanks, Eric. I'm excited to be back on, and I think now is a really good time to do an update on NIL. There's been so much going on in space. So much going on. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what, uh, what insights you've got today for us. Um, so let's just get into it. So you and I sat down, right, a little while ago. We had a discussion on this name, image, and likeness idea. Um, what is the update? Let's start with that. Where are we right now after a year's worth of uh, time for the sports world to wrap their arms around it? Well, it's still a mess. Um, that's if I had to kind of sum it all up. But, um, you know, we're now really going into the second collegiate year of, of the NIL Um and it's still the Wild West out there. And at this point, really, there, it's a showdown between the state states trying to regulate this and the NCAA trying to regulate it. Um, so states are really, in general, trying to pass laws that allow the universities to help students find deals and that protect the student athletes when they enter into these deals. Um, and the NCAA is trying to regulate that. They're trying to keep the athletes kind of, you know, they're trying to protect the athletes and trying to keep the schools out of organizing these deals. Um, some states have specifically said that the state law trumps the NCAAs, and the NCAAs are saying, well, you know, we really don't want you to be involved with this, it, with the NCAA if you're not going to follow our rules. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how this plays out in the coming months and years. Yeah, well, that's an interesting challenge, right, because the NCAA had all the power for the longest time, and now the states are saying, well, you didn't work very well with that power and control, and so now they're all trying to do their own thing. And, uh, and to see the NCAA trying to pull it back is interesting because I don't think it's going to work very well. It's going to be a big challenge. Um, sure, I agree. You know, so tell us, you, you mentioned the states. Can you give us some examples of how the state laws are different around around the NIL? Sure, sure. I mean, there's two pretty good examples um, from, from laws that have been either recently updated or recently um, passed. Um, the first one I think that's pretty important is Texas. Um, they recently updated their state law that, so it says specifically that the NCAA, um, cannot bar Texas universities from participating, um, uh, you know, in these NIL deals. 
So they're basically taking a direct hit at the NCAA's policies that are currently in place. They're trying to trump, trump any standard or policy that the NCAA may pass. You know, but the, if you think about it, too, a lot of these Texas universities are benefiting by their their connection with the NCAA, right? So I think they have to weigh the pros and cons here. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, the Texas law also allows the institutions directly to become involved with the NCAA deals. With I'm sorry, with the NIL deals for the athletes. So it's really, again, taking a direct hit at what the NCAA is trying to regulate. There's been a Missouri law recently that allows school officials, including the coaches, to join talks with the athletes about prospective NIL deals under the NCAA rules and regulations. Those things are restricted or limited. Um, The Missouri law also allows high school prospects to immediately become eligible for NIL deals when they sign with an in-state school. Um, I thought that was a pretty interesting state one. So those are just some samples. I mean, there's different laws in every state. So, you know, I would suggest um, advisors and clients think um, about which particular state they're looking in if they're if they're trying to land some of these NIL deals. Yeah, I, I think being you know, spending time investigating what your options are makes it, is critical, right? You don't want to lose an opportunity. You also don't want to get yourself crosswise uh, for on eligibility rules, which I'm sure are tied to some of this somehow. So if they jump in too soon, I can see that being an impact. Is that is that true as well? The eligibility rules? Yes, absolutely. Well, it, not, yeah. yeah. So that makes sense, right? That's the way they, they that's the, the leverage they have. And I would imagine just like the NCA and trying to exert its leverage over the state regulators, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that battle shakes out. So Melissa, you know, you, you mentioned the states, and obviously the NCAA is a big part of this issue, right? They're, they're battling it out. What is the NCAA trying to do here? I mean, what are, where are they in regulating the NIL cause level? So the NCAA is really um, back where they started as soon as this as this lawsuit was passed, um, or the as the Supreme Court passed the ruling that allowed for NIL. They really want to keep the boosters from meeting with students. They want to. Um, mandate that, you know, they don't want NIL deals to require the students to go to that school. They don't want the NIL deals to require that they live in a certain area. Um, they, you know, they the NCAA policies allow for the um, NCAA to come after the universities and the student-athletes for violations of these policies. Um, and essentially, the, it's a, you know, the students in that school have to prove that they haven't violated the regulations. So it's not, you know, it's almost like they, they're all, they're presumed guilty instead of presumed innocent. Um, That's what it sounds as, like. It sounds like guilty yeah. before proven innocent, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, you know, and recently the NCA in early 2023 sent a memo to all of the Division One schools saying that um, they mandated the NCA that, that the policy be followed, right? So they mandated, mandated that the, um, you know, any violation of the policy could be, you know, the NCA can come down and, and on these schools with fines. So I think you were, had mentioned eligibility. Not only can it be eligibility for the students, but also fines for the colleges and universities. Um, so far, there hasn't been much enforcement yet by the NCA, so that's still to be seen. They have a new president, and I think the enforcement may be coming. All that's really interesting, right, because you knew that that power struggle was going to exist. The NCAA is trying to maintain it. They're, you know, things like the Big Five, Power Five conferences, you know, they're trying to take more away and, and start going on their own path. And I'm sure the NCAA is worried about how far they can push them before they push them too far kind of thing. That leads me to, I guess, the next question then, which 
from a high level, this is oftentimes when you get battles like this, the federal regulators want to get involved. Has there been any movement or indication from the federal side as to what they might be trying to do here? Unfortunately, there hasn't been. Um, there still is no no big movement at the federal level, although a lot of schools, administrations, and also the NCA are really waiting for some federal regulations. I think that would make things a lot easier on everyone involved. There have been some tax rulings. Um, there was a recent IRS tax memorandum that is in this space on the NIL rules. Um, and that specifically has to do with how collectives are seen from a nonprofit standpoint. So there was an IRS memo just a month ago or so that said collectives are not, most likely not nonprofits because they're not furthering a nonprofit agenda. Um, so really what that means, it doesn't necessarily affect the student athletes, but it would affect the donors, right? So if you are a donor right now in the highest tax bracket and you're making a $100,000 contribution to a collective and it was a nonprofit, you could essentially get a tax deduction of 37% if you're in the maximum tax bracket on that donation. Um, and now, since it's, it's this ruling and these really aren't considered nonprofits, you know, your gift of $100,000 is just a gift of $100,000, and you lose out on that tax deduction. Um, you know, we don't think that that's going to necessarily um, end NIL by any means, but we do think it may limit some of the dollars, especially to maybe some of the smaller, um, you know, less high-profile athletes. That's a significant change. I could see how that would impact certain institutions more than others, as you just said. Well, let's pivot for a second. I uh, We've been talking about just sort of the rules, but let's talk about who's paying the athletes for the NL. Where, the, where is the revenue support the payments coming from? Is that really the collectives? Is it like individual, like individual businesses? Like where, where is it really? Are we seeing a lot of this revenue um, come from? Yeah, I think, it, and I think again, it really depends on the athlete and the the school. Um, but there's a great website. It's called OpenDoors.com, like doors, like endorsement, um, that has a ton of financial data on this. Um, in 2022, there was an, an estimated $917 million in NIL payouts um, to college students. I think that's an interesting number. They're estimating in 2023 that it will be um, $1.4 billion, close to $1.4 billion. Um, in 2022, there was an average of, around, of a little over $3,000 per division one athlete. So obviously that's skewed some because we know that there's some top earners. Um, but, you know, a lot of these athletes are receiving some type of NIL payments, um, and there's money in D2 and D3, too, um, surprisingly. So I think it depends on, um, you know, where the school is located and if there's a community around that particular school. Uh, but the sources, this was what the thing I thought was the most interesting. Um, Three-quarters of the money from NIL deals is from social media, so TikTok, Instagram, um, yeah. those are the, that's where most of the money is, is paid. So from being influencers and content creators. Um, so the followers are really what matter in this, in this space. Um, again, traditional endorsements is still a big deal. I think the, the biggest names and the people that are making the most money are probably doing so from traditional endorsement deals. And that's usually directly with, um, some type of, uh, merchandiser, right? Um, Mm-hmm. You know, some, some money is paid out from through clinics and camps. So if they're running a camp, um, you know, on campus or something like that, and then just through merchandise sales, too. Um, the collectives are also another source of this money. And then the industries that are paying, you know, it's the traditional endorsement type deals, which are apparel and footwear, some big fast food deals, 
um, automotive, um, health and finance. Um, those are really the main industries that we see the revenue coming from. Um, you know, and, and again, I think it's really it's really interesting to see that a lot of the, you know, the top performers, the big name athletes, are are some of the people making the most money. But it's not always right. There's some people who are just good at marketing themselves and good at, um, you know, putting themselves out there, maybe good at, at, at marketing their brand, right? So it's kind of right. two things. Not only do you have to focus on being an athlete, but you may have to focus on, you know, the business of you. Right. Yeah, and there's, a, there's, there's certainly some great examples out there of, of people who sort of, what I'd say, mastered that, that, uh, that expertise, you know, that skill set and, and managed to turn it into revenue for sure. And not necessarily in the largest sports, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that continues because it sounds like there's an awful lot of wealth being transferred around uh, because of the NIL opportunity. Um, yeah. Well, based on all the money that's flowing out there, what are some planning considerations that you've been talking to people about for athletes you know, who are receiving NIL team? I think the first step is to make sure that you understand the financial basics. Um, I, I don't know if you can think back to what you knew when you were 16, 17, 18 years old about money and finance, but I promise it probably wasn't a ton. Um, you know, these things, unfortunately, are still not taught regularly in the high school level and even in the college level unless you're searching it out. Um, you know, some schools are trying to put in place systems that teach financial literacy, but I don't think it's across the board. Um so my first recommendation is that you find some way to educate yourself on the financial basics, um, either through through courses or through making a connection with a financial advisor um, or a trusted you know trusted friend or parent who may be able to help you in those areas. Um, I think the next thing too is to really make sure that you understand the NIL rules that apply to you. So the state laws. Um, the NCAA regulations, be aware of those, and keep your eye on any federal regulations that may come in place. Um, you know, really build a team of trusted advisors around you. A lot of this stuff is complicated, so finding people who have a tax background, who have um, business background, who have finance background, and, and hiring those people with expertise uh, can be a big part of the financial planning um, in this area, in this space. Um, we also advise our clients to think of themselves, as we talked about, as a business, right? So manage your brand. Um, think about the potential companies you're going to endorse. Do they fit with your philosophy? Is it someone that you want to have plastered across your chest? Is it someone, you you know, or your back when you're on the, the field? Um, is this someone that you want to have uh, represent you and you represent them? I think that's an important piece, too. Yeah, that those are all great. You know, we talked a lot about the planning elements last time in terms of you know, asset protection, possibly creating entities and, and things of that nature. So these are all great additional tips. Um, and I think, I think if I just took sort of a summary away, it would be make sure you build a team, right? Get that team yes. together, be prospective, start thinking ahead about what you're doing and remembering that it is a business and an opportunity to uh, create wealth for yourself that may last beyond your college playing years. At least that's the hope, right? Yes, absolutely. So you had mentioned taxes in you know before. Do you have any other thoughts in terms of the income tax ramifications here that you're seeing when you're working through this? The biggest concern I've heard so far from people receiving the NIL money is that a lot of times um, the student athletes really aren't aware of the tax implications. 
Um, so educating these clients, these student athletes, um, on NIL is really important. Um, the, the revenue is typically considered a royalty, which would be taxed as ordinary income. Um, it's usually reported to, to the student athletes on a 1099 miscellaneous. Um, so that's, that typically means there's no taxes withheld, right? So we're just getting a check in the mail of all of the money. We haven't, we haven't withheld any taxes. Um, the, you know, the payments not only being, are, will be subject to federal tax, but they may also be subject to state or local taxes, depending on where you live or where, the, where you go to school. It could be potentially t- taxed in multiple places. You live in a different place than you, you know, if you're, you're claiming residency in a place other than where you go to school or you, you travel to make appearances or, um, certain endorsement deals, you may be taxed in those states too. Um, this is also self-employment income, so it may be subject to um, Social Security and Medicare tax. So those are all things we need to be aware of. Typically, setting aside some of the money on every check that you receive to cover the taxes would be a really, really good idea. And working with your tax professional to pay estimated taxes throughout the year instead of waiting until the tax return is due on April 15th. Um, I also think it's really important to realize there's other things rather than just cash that it could be subject to income tax. So if you're getting free products like, you know, swag from an athletic company, yeah, a car, even using a car could be subject to income tax or any type of paid trips that you receive. Um, if you're getting paid in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, um, that could be subject to tax. Um, so it's really important to understand what is compensation under the federal rules and making sure you're setting aside money to cover those income taxes. Um, again, we definitely recommend finding a tax professional that's, that is um, familiar with the type of work that you're doing and can help you with, through, navigate all of these different rules. So adding, so all I heard right there was let's make sure you add in the CPA or the accountant into the into the team because yes. the, they're definitely going to be an important part of this discussion. Uh, Absolutely. Right. Okay. So we've got just a couple minutes left here. Um, I think I'll wrap uh, the questions here in one just as a, as a final thought. In terms of you know, big picture, when we're talking to clients in general, you know, there's always different phases of life, right? We're talking about earning years, et cetera, retirement years. Um, just high level, uh, part of what goes into planning from that perspective is both considerations about you know, retirement planning, even though the players, you know, most of these players are talking about are, you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, you know, retirement planning is, is something that I think comes up. And then also state planning. You know, that, I think that's becoming more relevant if the player creates an estate value that's significant. Um, they want to make sure that that wealth goes somewhere if something happens to them. So how are you addressing both of those issues? I think if we, um, you know, one of the best resources for saving on a retirement level for these student athletes is to think about setting up a, um, a SEP IRA. And that's really, um, a, can be used by someone who's self-employed to set us, not, to not only set aside money for retirement, but also to help reduce your income taxes that are owed, um, every year. So in, um, in 2023, you can actually put, set aside up to 25% of your net earnings from self-employment income into this step IRA, um, up to a maximum of $66,000. So that's the, the first thing we're talking about with, with clients and, and prospects is thinking about setting aside some money for retirement. 
um, not only can that, you know, help you create a nest egg, but if you think about that growing over time tax-free, it could really be a huge impact to you later on in your life. Not, and it can also help reduce all of those taxes we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, from a state planning point of view, it is really important to think about what would happen to your money, even if you're young, right? Um, you know, typically state law directs where your assets will pass if you die. But if you want it to be any different than that, you should think about creating a will. Um, so, again, I would talk to your financial advisor or an estate planning attorney about the impacts of, you know, what would happen in your particular state if something were to happen to you and how we can modify that with an estate plan. That makes sense. I mean, there's there's just so much that goes into planning. You know, these athletes are starting to earn really significant dollars, and so the planning is really no different than, than any other client we have who's, who's earning uh, significant income or creating significant wealth. There's just a lot of considerations. And, and in order to really drive a great outcome, I think putting together that team, which you've been mentioning all throughout today, uh, is really important. The clock is telling me that we have we've come to the end of our time today. So I want to say thank you again. I really appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us today. Um, this has been really insightful and impactful. So thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And with that, um, that wraps another session of the Wealth Planning Podcast. Um, we appreciate you joining us today and spending time with us. Um, for our listeners, if you have questions regarding today's discussion, please reach out to your UBS financial advisor who can assist you in taking a deeper dive on the planning for your clients, uh, for you, excuse me, uh, where you've got NIL income. Uh, and those advisors can also help you leverage the resources at UBS, including folks like Melissa, as well as our entire athletes entertainment segment team. You know, there's just a lot of resources here at UBS that we can bring to bear to help get you educated on all these issues. So thanks again, and please join us next month for another installment of the Wealth Planning Podcast. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. It does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any specific product or service. UBS does not provide legal or tax advice, and we would recommend listeners to obtain appropriate independent professional advice. Some of the views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Group AG or its affiliates. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. These services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG and is a member of FINRA and SIPC.